Let's go to uh, the Doozy Canoe Marathon starts. Uh, the entries are officially open. The My Life Doozy Canoe Marathon is the official name. Let's talk to the, where's my piece of paper here? The Managing Director of Game Plan Media, my good friend Dave McLeod. How's it, Dave? John, I was worried that you were going to use the rat in the kitchen as some sort of sneaky link. To <laughs> so I'm very relieved. Happy New Year, John. <laughs> I, I could have done it as well for the for the river, but we've always heard about doozy guts, but let's keep it clean. Uh, speaking of the river, you guys have had some rain, Dave. John, have we had rain? It is heaving down here, and we've had weeks and weeks of, of unprecedented rain. Well, let's put that into context. I mean, the last 10 years, it's been a sort of a, a very light rain summer here, but the rains have come charging down, and in the past week in particular, you might have seen some of the videos that are doing the rounds. I mean, the I'm Sadducee, I'm Ganey, the big rivers down here, like the Umkamas and the Tugela, are absolutely in spate. Um, for those that are preparing for the doozy and, and know it well, I mean, the rivers haven't been at this level since 1972. 1984, we had sure. the cyclone Des Moines floods, which were uh, a, a bit of a sudden sort of flashbang when it came to floods. And 1972, we just had long, protracted flooding of the river. Um, and the sort of word in the canoeing community, because we haven't had big rivers here for eight years at least, um, and everybody's getting excited and rushing out to go and train and trip and have some fun on the rivers, <clears throat> and the wise old owls are saying, listen, be careful, because it's you've forgotten it's really dangerous at this level. So mm. a lot of people would have loved to have rushed out and trained at this level, but then uh, common sense is prevailing, and they're actually waiting for it to settle a bit, because it is an absolute flood, John. Uh, tell me about rowing in those kind of conditions. Obviously, it's much faster. You've, you've got to make your decisions so much quicker, right? And, and your local knowledge goes out of the window. You know, where the guys in oh, a race like the My Life Doozy do well is they go down and they trip it week in and week out and they work out the fastest line between two little rocks. And you add all those microseconds that they make up and that's suddenly how people get a lead and do really well. So what they would love is to have a predictable medium level river at the same level as which they've been training and tripping. Um, when you get a river like this, then all of your homework just gets thrown out of the window. There's quite a large percentage of what you do that becomes a survival mode uh, because paddling a, a K1, which was originally designed as a flatwater sprint boat, in a rough river, it, it's a very twitchy, unstable thing to do. And the last thing you want to do is, is fall out and risk breaking your boat or breaking yourself in the process. So mm. the, the, the mood and mode of the racing changes completely to instead of being a very particular clinical racing, um, add up the milliseconds kind of process, it becomes a survival. You just don't want to make a mistake because one swim like that <laughs> will cost you yeah. 10 or 15 minutes and it'll, it'll just control, alt, delete your race. And when you talk about the My Life Doozy now, Andy Burkett is the dominant character here. Mm. And if you look back at his record over the last 15 years, there's one year which has got a blot in that copybook. And that was the year when the river came down in spate overnight. There was an unexpected thunderstorm overnight. And the second day, uh, he was leading the race. Um, and he got into the section where the Amsterdam joins the Amgani. And there's some seriously big rapids there. And he had no clue because he hadn't trained it. He hadn't tripped it. <laughs> sure. And he had made a horrendous mistake at a rapid called Tombi, which cost him a long swim. And then he watched uh, Lance Kahn paddle past him and make no mistake and go on to win it. So it's one mistake as opposed to... 50 mm. classic little microseconds of, of lead. Um, so big rivers change everything, John. When the when the big water comes down like this, does it clean things out, get rid of hyacinth, get rid of some grass patches, and it's and, and, and maybe not as much running this time around? It, it doesn't change the running. The doozy is still a running race. Even with that river in okay. the state, 
um, you, you'll win the race on the runs. That's the reality of it all. Because, you know, they're long sections where a, a lot of those runs are compulsory because they go through stretches that will just kill you, to be honest. Um, so the, the runs are definitely there. And if the river's in state, it tends to uh, level out the paddling section. So the group, your top contenders will suddenly arrive oh. in a bunch of 15, where in a normal medium level, they would have spaced themselves out into maybe a lead group of three or four. And then the leads get decided on the runs. Um, but John, your question is a really good one. Um, does it clean things out? It is so important for the for the, the ecosystems of the river that they have these natural floods. And every year, or every time we build a new dam to supply our urban settlements, um, we actually negate the natural flooding of the river. And that river flooding is so important because it does flush out the hyacinths and the weed. Um, the ecology gets a, a desperately needed flush. Urbanization means there's pollution in the river. And these natural floods flush all of that uh, and it makes a massive yeah. difference so um, as much as it's scary at the moment and it's keeping people off the rivers it is sorely needed we haven't had a good flush flood like this for a long time you've tried to put me in one of these canoes before and i fell over all the time i'm just i can equate a, a flooded river or a full river to like a downhill bicycle race because i've done the bicycle racing there's not much you can yeah. do besides put yourself in the right place at the right time it's a completely different race because you're not except for the flat water bits it, it's not necessarily strength like you're saying it, it it's got to do with knowing the way around the river Exactly. It's a combination of knowledge. Um, and when you get even just a, a relatively modest change in the river level, you've suddenly got to think and make decisions and just react to what you see in front of you. And that's where mm. the race becomes fascinating. Um, you know, it's uh, pacing yourself on a comrades, for example, where the conditions are almost carbon copy every year. You can go home onto a treadmill and pre-plan your entire comrades and train it and, and work out how you're going to function in a river race like this, when, when the conditions change, um, you are suddenly, all your preparation goes out of the window. You are reading it second by second. Um, you know, you're reading the river five meters, 10 meters, and well, you never got 50 meters because you fell out, but you're 50 meters ahead of you um, to decide what you're going to do and, and how you're going to be quick and how you're going to be safe. Mm. All right, let's talk about who's competing. A, a couple of interesting matchups happening this year. Tell us about the big boys out of, and the ladies up in front. Well, the big boy is Andy Burkett, you know that. I mean, for the last 15 years, he's been the man. He, he's dominated like Grandpa Bellis did in his era, and he hates that comparison, by the way. So, and Andy Burkett, you know, the, the Juvie alternates K1 format singles with K2 every other year. So, and Andy Burkett has managed to win it with just about every partner that he's picked. Um, you know, from the early days when he arrived as a newbie, he was paddling with the master that taught him to paddle at Marisburg College. Um, he won it with Hank McGregor. He, he won it with Kumbalanium Zamundi two years ago. And he, now, he dropped a real bombshell a couple of weeks back when he announced that he had picked the guy who was the leading light under 23 in the singles doozy last year, who, and not coincidentally, also comes from Marisburg College. So there's a very strong Marisburg College bond here. Um, but he's paddling with Dave Evans. Now, Dave is, is one of those guys who's coming through the system, and he's got a flashing light in his forehead. He's, he's, a, he's a real talent. And Andy has met, in fact, Andy is five weeks away from, from the doozy and they haven't even sat in the boat together. That's how confident sure. he is in, in what this guy has to offer. He runs well. He, he's a, he's a very fast marathon paddler. He's proven his power in flat water marathons. And, and Andy's just said, I'm in. Um, he's got a pitch up here for the, for the draft challenge in a couple of weeks time. 
Um, and he's then going to mosey down the hill and do some training with uh, Dave and also going to go in a few weeks' time. It's, it's an unprecedented training regime where they just have not had time in the boat. And I'll draw a comparison, John. When, when Andy and Kumbalani and Zamandi won two years ago, Kumbalani packed up his stuff in Maritzburg and moved down to Andy's home in East London for two months and lived with the Burkitts, and he ran and paddled and gymmed with them every single day. And there was, it was no surprise that they were as good as they were. Now, they've done the exact opposite here because Andy and Dave are going to be skimpy on training time in the boat together. So just watch what happens. So Kumbalani, who won two years ago with Andy, has now been dropped. But he's, been, he's now gone and opted to paddle with Mpilo Zondi, who's a very good friend of his and who lives very close to him. Um, and, and the two of them are able to run and train together and are really talking up their chances. So I think there's going to be a real, uh, real race on the go there. And then the big variable... Um, Hank McGregor, the most decorated South African canoeist of all time, and who's always a factor in the doozy. Um, even, you know, he's a good runner. He's, a, he's the, the best paddler we've ever had. He's sneakily gone and snuck in a K1 entry. So he looks like he's entered in the single. But the whole idea is he's hiding who he's paddling with. And we probably <laughs> won't know until a week or two before the race. Sure. Okay. And in the ladies' race, Dave? Completely different story, John, because there's, there's, there's one pedigree crew in there. Um, Christy McKenzie has won um, a couple of doozies, um, and she has been good enough to win the women's race, even though she has the odd mishap. Now, the one woman who has been just behind her and was second in, in the K1 year is Jordan Peake. Jordan is a great river paddler, hardly ever makes a mistake on the river. So they're, they're very contrasting in a way. They're also good friends. They both went to the same school in Peter Maritzburg. It's Epworth. Um, and I think Christy snuck into Geordie and said, listen, let's make this doozy thing simple. Why don't you paddle with me? Geordie will paddle, will drive the boat. She'll do the steering. She'll do the technical work. Christy is a pedigreed athlete, um, and she will be, that they'll be very, very strong. Um, they've got competition from people like um, Bridget Hartley, who's always there or thereabouts, our Olympic bronze medalist. Um, she's desperate to do well in the doozy, and she has gone and struck a deal with Hank McGregor's wife, Pippa, who's paddling, her best paddling at the moment. So that they're in a boat together. Um, the one interesting unknown about this thing is that Christy McKenzie, who I mentioned earlier was paddling with Geordie Peake, um, went down hard with COVID in, in December. And how COVID affects you as an athlete is an unknown. So she's taking it easy. Um, she had a lot of rest time and downtime. She's back in her training regime. But as you know, John, there are a lot of people who shrug off COVID very quickly and there are a lot of people that pick up long COVID and really struggle to get over it. So the big question mark hanging over Christy McKenzie is going to be how long will she take to struggle for COVID? Let's talk about COVID and international entries. Are we going to get some foreigners coming and experiencing the river? John, we're gobsmacked. I mean, we've been jaw-dropped by the number of internationals that are, that are willing to sort of uh, – migrate from, okay, it's the winter in Europe, so it's pretty miserable, but there, there are a couple of places in the world that have just really sort of struck a chord with South African canoeing, and the one in particular is Denmark. Um, oh, wow. I, I'm not quite sure why. Look, it's, it's, and, and these poor guys in Denmark that are training for the doozy are in sub-zero. They <laughs> are paddling past blocks of ice. They are running through the streets of Copenhagen <laughs> in, in woolly suits with a canoe on their shoulders, and people think they're nuts. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, the, the first person to come out with it was a woman by the name of Susanne Lutzner. She came out two years ago and paddled the doozy, um, arranged a partner here, and she had an absolute ball. And she's a master's paddler. I think she's over 50. She went back to her friends and she said, this is it. This is on your bucket list. You've got to do it. Um, mm. There was a guy called uh, Soren Moretti who came out very shortly afterwards. 
And he and a Danish paddler had an absolute bore, but his partner got sick on the last day and was unable to paddle. So he had done two of the three days, and he's desperate to finish it. So he struck a deal, and he, he's going to be um, – he's done a very good deal, actually, because Hamish Lovemore, who's our under-23 marathon champion, has agreed to paddle with him. So I, I suspect they're going to be right in the gold medals, which is um, top 10. And we'll just have to see how that goes. Martin Fredriksen, uh, also a Danish guy who's coming out here, he, he's a real fairy tale, John, because he came out here and paddled with Trenton Lamble, and they finished the doozy. They were actually in a K1 year. They were the first double. I mean, that's you're a small fish in a, in a big pond when you do that. Um, but he went back to Denmark afterwards and got involved in a horrible car crash. Um, he was driving along a snowy road, and a deer walked out into the road, and he crashed his car really badly and picked up serious brain damage and was hospitalized and it took him six months to regain his motor functions um and part of his recovery plan is i'm going to go back to the zadizi um and he, he he's he's done a deal where he's got to come back and and paddle it with trenton lamble so uh, two uh, two french sprinters really respected guys by the name of elec uh, le livre um and Jan robert um are coming out to do it uh benoit um Roger is another well-known French sprinter. These guys are very good at flat water. They don't know much about rivers at all. Mm. Um, <laughs> Benoit has been very clever because he's got Ben Bradford, who's a local paddler, and agreed to drive him down. Um, but there, there's, it's been a trend, John, over the last couple of years. There's been a marked sort of international trend. COVID aside, mm. I mean, they, they want to come and do at least one doozy. I was having a look at the weather in Copenhagen now, a maximum of two degrees centigrade today. Which is, I mean, <laughs> Great thing to go training, isn't it? <laughs> sure. From, from a low of one to a high of two. I mean, what's the point? Um, <laughs> how, many, how many people are going to be allowed to take part? Are entries are open now. Are there restrictions as to how many entries? One of the things that the My Life Duty did spectacularly well last year when we were coming out of the middle of our, our second wave, um, they came up with a plan that made sure... I mean, canoeing is a naturally socially distanced event. Mm. Um, they structured their, their registrations and the starts and the finishes of each day so that people arrived in very small batches. They, there were no spectators allowed. Each paddler was allowed one technical support person as a second. Um, you got down to the river with your mask on, you got on the river, and by the time you were two minutes into your race, you were already way more than two meters away from everybody. And it was, it was a, for, for canoeing South Africa, it was a flagship event a great example of how to safely run this event. So they, at the moment, uh, you know, we've got a plan of 2,000 as a, as a maximum number of people that can be allowed at an outdoor event. None of this is indoors, so the 1,000 doesn't come into play. Mm. Um, but mm. they have gone way more conservative than that. They get, they're sticking to the same sort of model as they used last year, um, where they're going to downplay the registration. There's no socializing. There's no party afterwards. Um, but you're going to get down, and the batches are spaced slightly further apart, so you can safely get down to the river, get into your batch, get called to the river, um, take your mask off, and then once you're on the water, you are, I mean, the nature of the duty means you're in the middle of nowhere and miles from anybody else. So it, it, it worked spectacularly well last year, um, and they're using the same model to go forward. And I must admit, since the My Life Duty pulled it off so well last year, that's been the benchmark for all the other canoeing events. So the, the big events that were successful, like the Berg and the Breda and the Drag Challenge, have all used what they managed to get right last year. 
All right, all exciting. So entries open now. Doozy.co.za is the website. And before you go, Dave McLeod, uh, I know you you follow the proteas around and you've been watching the Protea India's game. You, you you're lucky enough to to be involved in behind the scenes with that. What's it been like behind the scenes being able to watch this test series that is it suddenly become very exciting? John, it's been, you know how, it seems, I'll tell you why, um, I'm involved with the protest from a presenting point of view. So we, we get to sit in the stadiums which are suddenly empty. Um, and for the last year and a half, the protest have been able to stage their matches behind closed doors. It was originally, there was absolutely nobody in the ground. Um, if you had a careful look at the TV pictures at um, Supersport Park and at, uh, at the Wanderers, you would have seen that if you own a suite, you can technically sneak in and check out your suite to make sure that everything's all right. There's no, there's no alcohol, there's no catering allowed there, but you can suddenly get people in there, which makes a huge difference. But one of the things about watching these cricket games without people in is it, 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 it sanitizes the environment and it allows you to focus on what is happening on the field. Um, this Indian tour has been fascinating because that first test match when we played it at, at Supersport Park it was like men against boys. That Indian team has just got a confidence and an aura about them, which we clearly lacked. Um, and we were coming second through every single day of that test match. It just looked like men against boys. What happened between the Supersport Park defeat and what happened at the Wanderers behind the scenes, and I'm not sure who should get the credit for this, was spectacular because from the minute they got onto the field, um, and this sanitized environment with no sideshows, no hype, no spectators, no build-up, no razzmatazz, it focuses all the attention on what is happening on the field. And we were in the game before the first ball was bowled. We were in it mentally, psychologically, we were in it. And you mm. could sense it in the air where we were, we were getting our personalities handed to us on a platter in Pretoria. We were never going to let that happen here. Um, and it wasn't pretty. And there were times when we had to just rough it out. Um, but from, a, from a, a mental, psychological battle point of view, we were dominant in Joburg, like we were not even in the picture in Pretoria. And it was fascinating to be able to sit in our little box and watch that and sense it. I mean, a lot of it you would have picked up on TV. Um, and in TV, it's very easy to do stats and graphics and to color in a block to say who has won a session. But when you see the body language of the people and you, you watch the way the teams are behaving in their warm-ups before a day and the attitude that the individual players and collectively they're bringing to a game um, – we did this spectacular 180-degree turnaround, um, and I think we're going to ride the benefit of this wave for the next mm-hmm. five years as a test team because it's, it's oh, changed wow. that team. Okay. Dave McLeod, great chatting to you. Thanks very much. Happy New Year and all the good things, and uh, hopefully you look after yourself down the doozy. Thanks, John, and we, we, we do still have a gap in a boat for you somewhere when you've got your stability back. <laughs> no, you don't. No, there's, <laughs> I know there's one sport I will never be able to do is canoeing. <laughs> yeah, okay. Dave McLeod, thank you very much. Dave McLeod uh, telling us all about the doozy and the cricket as well. Uh, he's the managing director of Game Plan Media. Thank you very much.